Falling in love with bourbon is exactly the same as I am firmly believed as falling in love in real life. Welcome to the Lush Life Podcast. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, and I bring you the how-to guide for living life one cocktail at a time. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by cocktails ever since. Together, we'll learn from bartenders, brand ambassadors, distillers, and others why certain drinks are popular in certain cultures, how to make the perfect old-fashioned, when to shake and when to stir, and so much more. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let the fun begin. My first stop on my first trip to Louisville, or so I thought but I was to be corrected by our guest today. Technically, we were in Chevely, not Louisville, even though it's minutes away from the center of town. Sylvia Holden, team leader for the Bullet Frontier Whiskey Experience at Stitzel Weller Distillery, explained why being in Chevely was so important for bourbon history. As a native Kentuckian, even she had to leave Louisville to return to bourbon. So I'm born and raised in Kentucky. I've lived here almost all my life. I'm a hilltopper. I went to Western Kentucky University. Um, when I finished college, I got the opportunity to go live in South Korea for three years. And I took a job working for an LG executive in the tiny little town I lived in, Gumi, South Korea. And we worked on speaking um, for business situations in English. And what I quickly learned was that him and his colleagues often go out and enjoy whiskey in their pastimes. And, you know, it's the best way for them to let down their hair. And as a Kentucky native and a fresh off a of college graduation, there was nothing I knew better than how to drink some Kentucky bourbon. So did you have to introduce with a bourbon to them? So they did. They had the opportunity to drink bourbon over there, but I don't think they understood, you know, how much of the culture it is to not just me, but fellow Kentuckians as well. And so I began teaching him not just business speaking English in the morning, but going to meet him and all of his colleagues out for bourbon at night. And so it was awesome because now I got to not just drink bourbon with them they paid for it because it's so expensive over there <laughs> did you know yeah. that coming from kentucky a place where bourbon is just drunk all the time yeah to go to south korea and find out that they're drinking whiskey there too <laughs> i completely well, you can teach with them something yeah. <laughs> and so then we found you know a very fun way to enjoy bourbon together and i really do i think about mr Inguk all the time and i always wonder if maybe he's still drinking bourbon and thinks about all of our times together <laughs> Even the Samsung VPs would come sometimes too, because we had both LG and Samsung in my city. So it was, we really, we had a little bourbon club before that was really kind of a big thing, you know? So it was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Can you tell me a little bit about the history of this place and how Bullet fit in with that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what we're seeing now is a, you know, a big celebration of bourbon throughout the nation. 
Um, you're now finding distilleries popping up all over the 50 states. Um, but obviously, Kentucky is the birthplace uh, for what you're now seeing today as something called the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Um, you can now fly in or drive into Kentucky, and there is an actual passport that allows you and encourages you to go out through the entire state of, the, of Kentucky to try all these different bourbons and to learn the history of how Kentucky became the bourbon capital of the world. So 95% of all bourbon is today made in Kentucky, but where we're sitting today at the Stitzelweller Distillery, it has a huge effect on why that is. Um, you see, when uh, Prohibition went into effect in 1920, there were essentially about five to seven states producing bourbon. Um, but during the Depression, um, slowly but surely, everyone got rid of their stills and called it quits. And when they began to illegally allow us to begin making bourbon again in the 30s, uh, Kentucky was very brilliant in monopolizing on that. Uh, where we are was the very first full-size distillery ever completed in the 30s when Prohibition ended. It opened its doors on Derby Day of 1935. Uh, we are about a 12-minute drive from the heart of downtown Louisville on 53 acres in a little neighborhood called Shively. Now, if you grow up in Louisville, like myself, we all call it lively shively. <laughs> but distillers came out here to make their bourbon because they could escape Louisville city tax uh, during the Great Depression of America. Uh, so where we are, this was not just the very first distillery of Shively and the very first distillery ever completed after Prohibition. It became the very first distillery that was mass distilling corn with wheat. Um, and so it was weeded bourbons they were producing. But we're quite far from the river. So we are. Um, did you guys bring in the water? We didn't. Um, what's neat about Shively particularly is how it sits on that limestone shelf. So what ended up happening was they tapped into about five springs here on site. They would pull the water straight from the limestone shelves right into the production facility. Um, with that limestone, it not only filtered out iron in the water, it put in calcium deposits too. So it was good for you, like milk. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. It was good for everyone involved. Right, exactly. And so slowly but surely, you saw all these other distilleries pop out in Shadley. Eight of them, in fact, within walking distance of exactly where we are. Um, and so slowly but surely, Shively became an incorporated part of Louisville, and it became an integral part of the bourbon comeback after Prohibition ended. Uh, you then saw um, this huge celebration of bourbon throughout our country all the way up until about the 70s when we saw spirits completely shift. So at the height of bourbon making here, like how, how much was being made? On average, they can move up to 1.8 million cases of bourbon every single year. Oh, my God. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Over 150 employees punching in and punching out for work every day. Um, bustling operation. Very beautiful. Four huge marks were originally created out here. Old Fitzgerald, Cabin Still, W.L. Weller and Sons, and, of course, Rebel Yell. That's having a resurgence today. 
Um, but all of it was threatened once we saw the spirit shift in the 70s. Yeah, when and, Cosmos became popular. Oh, and yes. And vodka and wines and box wines. And what you saw were properties as magnificent uh-huh. as this go on the marketplace. And slowly but surely, either shutting their doors or just selling to the next big investor, hoping to hit it big. And it was really kind of a terrible investment if your goal was to, I like to say, retire in the 90s, right? Because <laughs> that was probably its lowest point. Uh-huh. Um, but what ended up happening was by 1992, they quit making bourbon. They quit bottling it out here. They still used it for storage facility. Um, and then by 1997, it was really truthfully what we call a ghost operation. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So Diageo, um, they are, they're the big powerhouse out of London, England. Um, They were interested in kind of looking into the Kentucky bourbon portfolio. Um, They acquired this property when they birthed in 97. And uh, part of that entitled them to the last spirit uh, that trickled down the still, which is now used in Blade and Bow. But it also gave them access to the 20 warehouses here on site that were part of, you know, Frederick Stitzel's design of the ricking system. Um, Their bottling line, they cleaned that up. They got that going again. And then 2002, uh, they picked up Tom Bullitt. And they started uh, doing maturation and bottling here on site for Bullet Bourbon. Mm -hmm. With the growing bourbon industry, you now saw the Kentucky Bourbon Trails form. And then Diageo in 2014 officially joined the Kentucky Bourbon Trail by reopening the Stitzel Weller Distillery as the Bullet Frontier Whiskey Experience. So how long was Tom Bullet making bourbon before Diageo came knocking? So he founded the company in 1987. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that. Yeah. So it's really kind of a commitment. And so when 2002 rolled along, it was like almost like Tom now got to go into the big leagues, right? Uh And Diageo, I mean, you talk about all over the world, they have, you know, uh, you know, connections and operations going. I think as of today, they're the second largest liquor supplier of the world. And so Bullet was this huge, you know, mark that just splashed into the bourbon scene and that bourbon drinkers from around the world loved. We fell in love with Bullet and it became this beautiful chance for Diageo to now enter into the Kentucky marketplace for bourbon and the Kentucky Bourbon Trail just as willingly loved having us join. We became the only opportunity to come to a full-size operation in the city of Louisville. Um, So now you no longer have to leave the city. You can drive 12 minutes in an Uber or Lyft to get here. And sure enough, you can see, you know, our research and development operation for distilling. You can walk through our warehouses out here. You can sit down and do a full bourbon portfolio tasting. And then now what's even happened is we've been able to use the Bullet Frontier experience to now launch other labels in our portfolio. And that includes the IW Harper we shared together. And then, of course, the Blade and Bow. And so the Blade and Bow is kind of our big celebratory, you know, candle on the cake for us that, you know, when we light it, it just lights up the whole room and it lights up our whole commitment to the industry. 
So it's made from not just the last spirit distilled here at Stitzel Weller, but it's also made with this very loving care of quality and attention where we drip newer bourbons in to these old, old barrels, you know, and we were able to use that key that was such a significant part of Stitzel Weller to use as the symbol of Blade and Bow. Now, what is the key reference? So the key was a big part of how Stitzel Weller was operated. Um, They said there were five keys to making bourbon. There was this understanding that the first key were your grains that you were going to use to make the product. The second key would be the yeast you would add to it, which is obviously important. Your third key represents the fermentation product process and how you're turning these grains and yeast now into an actual beer, right? Uh, but because we believe that beer is for quitters, right? <laughs> we have to have that fourth key for distillation. And that's a very crucial part. And when we think about a master distiller, whether it's Tom Bullet or any of our friends on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail, we also often think of distillation. And that is, that's a very crucial part of our operations. But, you know, just as important as that key is that fifth key, and that's the aging process. And that's kind of the souvenir a lot of people take home, whether it's, you know, know barrel staves for their bar in their basement or the barrel head or you know even a mini barrel that allows you to age the bourbon yourself and so you see now bourbon is so complex there really are lots of different keys that you know you have to use together to unlock consistency quality you know and most importantly right a, a beautiful product that ends up being, you know, the center of your dining room table, whether you're finishing a lovely meal together or you come off from a hard day at work, or maybe you've just received some good news and you need a nice little drink to just really enjoy the moment that you're experiencing. And so Blade and Bow is like this gorgeous ode to those moments in life. And so we're really proud of it here at Stitzelweller as we are of all of our products, the I.W. Harper and the Bullet, and of course the Orphan Barrel Collection. So it is, it's a magnificent place to come and walk around and spend time because there's so much to learn, but it also kind of gives you a little peek, right, into the future of our industry and, you know, how these old significant places in our industry are now being utilized to begin carving and paving, you know, the path for us as we start moving into the future too. So it is. It's lovely. Should we try some? Absolutely. So when we start talking about the bullet portfolio, um, I love to really encourage people who are new to drinking bourbon to try bullet because it's great for easing yourself into understanding our products because you can use it for making cocktails. You often hear of people who are apprehensive to try bourbon because it's too high in alcohol proof. And that's understandable. If you're a beer drinker and a wine drinker and you jump to bourbon, it can be, you know, a bit uh, intense at first. And so easing your way into bourbon, a really fabulous way of doing it is the cocktail movement, right? And, and learning how to make old fashions and Manhattans and the basil smash and the derby classic, the mint julep, right? And Bullet caters to that because of their high rye profile. 
Now, when it comes time to understanding how to enjoy a bourbon neat, that's where it gets tricky. Um, people are just unfamiliar with drinking bourbon neat. Um, if they've ever had bourbon neat, unfortunately, they've been trained to shoot it, you know, and instead of sipping it. Um, and so I tell people all the time that the Bulletin is by far one of the best bourbons in the entire world. And I say that there's two rules to the Bulletin that are that is what kind of ties the ribbon onto it of why I love it so much. Because right now, what you find is people wanting to fall in love with bourbon. And it is. It's a very fun spirit to fall in love with. There's a lot of culture to it. There's a lot of heritage to it. But the Bullet 10 is a fun one to fall in love with because it protects what I like to call your bourbon heart, right? Mm -hmm. Falling in love with bourbon is exactly the same as I am firmly believed as falling in love in real life. You see? You have to make sure that when you fall in love with bourbon, rule number one, and just like falling in love in real life, you fall in love with something you can actually find, right? <laughs> there are so many beautiful bourbons out there that you are not going to find, right? And you end up chasing it and it's never going to come to you, right? And everyone's guilty of doing that in both their real life of love and their real life of bourbon love. But then I also joke and really truthfully believe that bullet 10 is also protects your heart because you can fall in love with something you can afford, right? <laughs> the bullet 10 is right in that price point. You know, you can see it as cheap as some places as $38, as high as 50 in other markets, um, but it's gorgeous. And that 10 to 12 years in the barrel really allow that pecan, that caramel, you know, finish to that typically spicy with heat bullet bourbon now, you know, age. It really does age gracefully. And that's why I do, I swear by the bullet 10. You can enjoy it neat. So for guests coming to your dinner party that just want a nice little bourbon neat, you can put ice in it, which is how I love to enjoy it. Chill it down, open it up. But of course, if you have guests at your dinner party that need just a little something to cut it with, that's where you can introduce, you know, basil freshly picked from the backyard or even just a little bit of brown sugar to make a simple syrup. You know, if you shake it all together and create that basil smash, it just becomes a truly delightful bourbon that is not just versatile, but it's on that same affordable and findable level. It's in all 50 states. It really, I think it's now on the European market as well. And it is, it's like the best complement to the Bullet Portfolio. It was great of Sylvia to take me on a tour of Stitzel Weller Distillery and join me for more than a few sips of Bullet Bourbon after. Of course, we're using Bullet Bourbon in our cocktail of the week, but it's not an old fashioned, as y'all should know how to make that already. Hope you're ready for a new one, because now we go to our cocktail of the week. As autumn is here already, I decided to pick a warm and toasty cocktail of the week. The Kentucky Meadow Hot Toddy, which combines all my favorites, bourbon, honey, and cinnamon, plus a little tea to change it up. Place one Smith Tea Maker Meadow Sachet in a cup or mug and add boiling water, leaving room for the whiskey. Steep it for five minutes. Then add one and one quarter ounce bullet bourbon and remove the sachet. 
Then add one tablespoon of raw honey or maple syrup. Now the fun begins. Add green apple peel and a cinnamon stick. Then to make it look pretty, garnish with an apple wedge and shave nutmeg on the top to finish it off. You'll find this recipe and all the cocktails of the week on alushlifemanual.com, where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. There will be more Kentucky bourbon on the way in the new year, so don't worry about that. If you want more info about the state, head to www.kentuckytourism.com. I was their guest in Kentucky and had a great time sipping bourbon cocktails for a week straight. Next time, we're still talking whiskey, but moving across the globe to Australia. Do they do it differently down under? Well, you'll have to come back to find out. Until next time, bottoms up. Thanks for listening to the Lush Life Podcast, the sister of A Lush Life Manual. For more information and links to everything you heard, plus a bit more, please visit alushlifemanual.com. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. Lush Life is produced by Evo Terra. And I'm your hostess, Susan Schwartz. I'll see you at the bar.